like the idea that you can't learn um, things from watching sports or that sports betting is just all math is, you know, so absurd to me. Um, Hey, what's up, everybody? GP13 here. Another episode of the Risk Takers Podcast, joined by one of the smartest guys on Twitter, one of my favorite accounts. He's been writing some amazing long-form content recently. So we're welcoming sports projections to the show. I'll be referring, I'll call you SP as this uh, as this podcast goes on. Well, thanks for having me. I guess we have SP and GP now. Um, yep. So ready to roll. Yes. Yeah. It, the the P at the end of like the double letter has a good it has a good ring to ring to it. Um, but yeah, like we, you and I, we we've DM a lot. Um, have been just like talking about basically everything sports betting related, and I've been trying to to get you on for a little bit. Um, I think that your most recent articles have been really, really helpful to me because you're writing about stuff that I, I think that is, you know, we talked to Mr. Limited last week and it's like that next step. Like we talk a lot about how, um, what are like the things that can kind of take you from maybe just starting to win to like scaling and having sustainable success. Uh, and I, I wanted to hear like your thoughts about why you decided to to tackle that specific type of content, that like kind of next level past, you know, learning how to win, thinking about next steps. Yeah. So for, for me, I think it comes from probably just a place of what I see, like, like the common content I see on, on Twitter and whatnot these days. Um, you know, if I was going to, been on Twitter, I don't know, maybe like five years or so with, with this account and, um, you know, never really made any sort of what I'd call content beyond just the tweets. And if I was going to do something, I would want to do stuff that's more evergreen and, um, you know, more technical in nature. I mean, that that's in reality, like the, the content I seek out and there's just not a whole lot of it. And so, uh, you know, so much of, of, what comes across my timeline is very, um, I guess, not evergreen in that it's, it might help you in the short term. Maybe it's picks, maybe it's, um, you know, various angles that are surely not going to last a long time. And so I've been gambling in some form or the other for close to a decade now. And so I just wanted to use my content in the, the post and whatnot as sort of a uh, creative way to, to, to talk about some of the stuff that I think about when it comes to gambling and wagering on sports. Yeah. I love it. And I th- that's been kind of my goal too, is I haven't really stated it, but I try and make everything evergreen. Like every episode I do, I don't have like picks. I try not to do picks. I try not to do talk about any specific like game or event because I think the value like I'd love for someone to come back and like read something or listen to something three years from now and 
you know, of course, maybe we learned something that we didn't know back then and something's outdated, but to be like, oh yeah, like that's an interesting way to think about X, Y, Z. I've learned something instead of like it being about the, you know, Niners Lions game, you know, that maybe we'll remember three years from now. It's like, oh yeah, I remember they blew that lead. I don't really care about this. You know, I don't. So I think like a lot of the shows I, I respect are, you know, we were talking before this, like Spanky's podcast. He just, it's very evergreen. It's not really picks based. And I, I love that stuff. And Mr. Limited's doing stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's, there's some more of that, which I, I love because like you said, it's the content you seek out. It's the content I seek out. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it has that value um, and has that longevity that I think compounds that, that value. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing for me. I think this was like one of the the main things I tried to is sort of a theme of the the scaling article that that you had yes. mentioned is I want to focus like in the content I could consume myself. I want to you know focus on things that are going to teach me things and skills and whatnot that are going to compound over time and and be able to be useful in more ways than one. I think that was a lot of what was in that article as well is, you know, when, when I'm trying to figure out where to, I have a full-time job. I know a lot of people starting out also do while they're gambling. Um, you know, you have a finite amount of time and, you know, I think people are not necessarily always as, um, thoughtful about where to, where to spend that time and, and don't necessarily think of that time as a, as an investment long-term potentially. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of, there's a tons of different ways to make money in gambling. I feel like 90% of the arguments on gambling Twitter is there are people, one person telling someone else that their way to make money is better. <laughs> uh, so there's a zillion different ways to make it. And I think um, for me, as someone who wants to do this for a long time, who's done this for a relatively decent amount of time, I more and more try and focus on things that are going to compound and, and allow me more opportunities in the future. So I guess I, I could just give a couple examples. You know, so much of, of what I see across the timeline, um, you know, today is like different examples where you're, you're more so trading um, time for money, yep. which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, some examples of this is like any type of live betting, um, especially yep. if it's, you know, like you're using, you know, whatever, third-party software or other outside software. Um, it's a little different if you're like building your own thing, I guess, because that that's, you're, you're probably developing some sort of scalable skills there um, or, you know, dependent on discords or whatever. Like the there's a lot of opportunity and there has been a lot of opportunity in the ecosystem, you know, the past couple of years, um, just as a lot of things are new and whatnot. Um, but the reality is like, those things are just they're really hard to grow in a way that, um, you know, you can continue to do for a long time and, and continue to branch out into other markets. Because, for example, if you're, you know, your main strategy is, I know all the rage these days is, is the live arming. If that's your main strategy, like there's a finite number of hours in the day, right? And so like that strategy very much requires you to be in front of a computer um, and you're, trading your time for money. And again, it seems like you can make a lot of money off that. So I'm not, not knocking that or whatever. Right. It's just, you know, 
in doing that, for me at least, like I would feel like I'm not developing skills or or anything that's going to really help me in the future. It's it's sort of just like a honestly like a job at that point where you're right pun- punching the clock and making money. Which again, nothing wrong with it, but that's like for me, I'm trying to make gambling something that I can make more from each year with less amount of work. Um, so that's that was sort of the impetus behind that article. Yeah, I think the last thing you said, I, I can't remember this who said this quote, but it was like if you if you start a company, like if you leave a job to you know pursue entrepreneurship and your new job requires you to do everything and if you aren't there at the desk you make no money, then you've just got a new job. You know, it's like there's right. there is some there's some value, you know, to uh, thinking about not just how much money you're making, but what, how much are you trading? How much time are you trading? Because I think we all trade time for money, but we'd like to trade less of it. And when you're younger and you're starting out, or you're first getting into gambling, trading time for money is is a huge win because most people trade time and lose money. You know, like it's it's trading time for money and gambling. You're already doing great. So it's like it's a great way to to see some you know see some shots go in right and build up your bankroll. But I do stress to people like start thinking long term. You know, you know by all means live arb and make a ton of money. I know uh, people are making having like forty k months live arbing and that's great. That's awesome. Save that money and then maybe invest uh, invest some of it into learning some skills that are going to give you leverage, right? Like, I think we both kind of think along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, if you, to me, to have success in, in, in gambling long-term, you need to be able to do something well. Um, it's not mm. going to be enough. Like, to, to me, it's naive to think you're going to be able to pay a subscription fee and just make infinite money for forever. Yes, um, yes. Like that, that's just not how it works. So to, to separate yourself and really have success, you need to do something well, whether that's, um, it, can, it, it can be, even that can be a variety of things. That could be, um, you know, data collection. It can be data modeling. It can be getting accounts. I mean, there are people who make all their money just uh, because they're really good networkers and can constantly churn accounts. Yeah, I mean, that's not really specifically of interest I mean, everybody needs to, at the end of the day, you need accounts to bet and win. Um, so that's, that's obviously important for everybody, but that's not necessarily like, you know, what my strong suits and what I want to spend my time on personally. Right. But there, yep. there's a zillion different things you can do out there, but you need to have some skill. And, uh, yeah, I would just recommend anybody certainly always take the money when you can get it. There's nothing yep. that's going to make you more money than. Increasing <laughs> your bankroll quickly, right? Uh, For sure. So you can bet more on other things. So, so absolutely take the money while you can get it. But um, I echo what you said. I think everybody should always be trying to develop, improve, learn, learn new things because that's that's how you're really gonna. If if it's something you want to sustain, if it's just like a side hustle, and then you'll go find a different side hustle that take the money and take the easy money and, and run. I guess. Yeah, and I, I think that that's and it makes sense. It, it's. I love the idea of bootstrapping too. I've always been very like pro bootstrapping. 
an anti like getting massive investments to do things like you might not be great at. So if you bootstrap your bankroll through the stuff that doesn't scale through trading time for money and you learn how the sports books work, you understand, you get comfortable with risking, risking money or placing money on bets. Like those are things that aren't tangible skills that help to just get a general level of comfort and understanding and meet people and you'll find you might find your skill later, but you know, take the money, like you said. Like there's no nothing that makes you more money than just having a bigger bankroll so you can bet more money. That that's a huge skill. And that's also why I say like it's helpful to be cheap as a better. If like you really do want to do this, try and be kind of cheap because if you make a lot of withdrawals from your bankroll, your your unit size starts going down and that does not help at all. Um, but when we talk about scaling, like the second half, like, okay, we've done that. We've done, we've traded our time for money. We have a bankroll. We're starting to get limited at DraftKings and we're getting limited at, at you know, whatever, RecBook. Now we're thinking, okay, well, I actually really like this. I want to scale. What's that stuff like? Yeah. So for me, it has primarily been, um, like building a skill set that allows you to keep expanding what you're able to to bet on. So I can give some examples of this. Um, so I guess like the first thing. So certainly, like you're yes, everybody's you know you're gonna if you win enough money, you're you're certainly going to get limited. Um, there are different ways. There there are ways to get limited slower. Um, you just released yep. a, an episode that was very good on, on some of those ways. So I won't rehash all of that. But I, I guess one, one thing you certainly can do is if you are, you know, I, I'll give an example. If, if, if your edge currently is, um, you know, subscribing to some discord and gives out a play and it's, it's good play. Um, but 500 other people are betting it. Like that is not a way to have longevity, Um, you know, purely picking off off market numbers. That is not a way to have longevity. If you are able to, um, you know, develop your own prices on things, on things that aren't that frequent, they could be not that frequently or they're, they're liquid markets and more, more liquid markets. And um, you're able to bet into those and, and win you know, that's going to buy you more leeway. If you're able to bet, um, you know, one, one of the things that some of the, I feel like a lot of people on Twitter miss is a lot of people, you know, see high holds and like in certain markets and will, you know, say, oh, these bookmakers are scumbags or whatever. And, and sure, that's probably the case a lot of times. <laughs> the reality is oftentimes like the most valuable opportunities, some of the most valuable opportunities I've ever had is betting into markets with extremely um, yep. high holds or higher holds because, you know, when a, when a bookmaker puts a higher hold on a market, they, they're they thinking that they're doing that because they, they think they need some sort of like more margin of safety on that market. And oftentimes it's, a, it's, it's like a false sense of security. I, I mean, I, I think a that. lot of future, future pools are like this. Um, you know, so for me, it's because you're going to be able to last much longer if you can bet into markets where they're high holds, where that book is not the best price in market. Like that, 
that is something that is very good if you can win betting into not not best best price in market. Um, because if you're just thinking about like from the the sports books perspective, what sorts of things they are looking at, um, you know that 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 looks like you know the, the person who's always taking best price uh, is, is not a desirable customer. So right, I think having some of those those skills is how you can continue to to expand and grow. I think the other thing I'll mention, like for me, that has been beneficial is. If you actually build like a, a skill set and think about things, you know, like betting projects or endeavors, whatever, more long term, you have more optionality in the future. So, some examples of this are, you know, if you if you had your own models or had ways to identify, um, for example, like correlation in sports betting before Pick'em apps came around, like the DFS Pick'em apps, you have a huge leg up. Whereas if you're dependent on, again, you know, like software or whatever, like that's not something you know how to compute or or figure out. Um, Similar sort of thing with, uh, you know, it seems like more and more companies are are releasing these uh, peer-to-peer pick-em type games, like DraftKings Pick 6 and I think Underdog and even Prize Picks, I think, rolled something out in a couple states recently. Yeah. Like if you have frameworked, um, and I'm... I played a lot of, uh, I call it DFS. I, I guess I can't use that term anymore because now DFS has been hijacked by these pickup sites. <laughs> but the traditional DFS, salary cap DFS, I, I play a lot of that or have played a lot of that in the past. And um, like if you have framework to to think about those games and, and betting and whatnot and you just build processes and, and methods for analyzing and attacking those games, you're able to go after new games faster right. than than the crowd and that's where so much of the opportunity is i always think in my head um it's better to be early than to be smart on anything gambling yep um wow. so like if you're able to to be first to things that's where you know some of the biggest wins for for me has been yeah uh there there's a lot there and i want to talk about pick six in the peer theory because we both we're talking we we were DMing a little bit about pick six and we were both kind of early it was kind of shocking how um <laughs> i don't know how how bad everybody was at it off the yeah. jump um but i want to go back to your own prices actually first question because i think about this all the time like let's say that you're originating a market and you're looking around and you see the best price at a book that you you have, you know, at whatever app book that you have liquidity at and you can bet it. And you have second best price, you also have liquidity. Are you actually in that moment, if you're very confident in the edge, skipping the first bet, the first best price and going to the second best price? Or are you only thinking about that more on like sizing up? if the best price is at some book that you don't have access to, but you know that they might, the trading team might check just to see how off market they are. Yeah. I, so it's definitely book dependent. I think Yeah, um, I've had different experiences at different times and different books as I imagine you, you can understand. I think, yep. you know, books have 
change. So it's it's always like a little bit of a cat and mouse game. Um, I think in general, uh, it, I would say overall, it's more about you know like for for me, just about amounts I can bet really. So I'm yeah. you know I ha- I'm happy to take the whatever the second best price. I don't think often I'm I would forego that uh, that whatever market best price unless it's yeah. like a real outlier. I have reason to believe you know like that book is specifically um, you know going to take offense to that action. Um, so for me, it's really just like a bet size thing. But I, I guess what I was getting at is I, I think that's helpful to the account still. Um, yeah, you know, because because someone who's who's reliant on whatever odd screen, like by, by definition, they're only really ever going to be betting the best, best price. market price. Right. So yeah. they, they just will never have those opportunities to get bets into accounts that are not, you know, the market, best market price. And, and those things balance out. So maybe on book a, I take, you know, first bet I take, you know, it's the best price. And then on, you know, I make another bet and it's not. So it sort of balances out. It can help a, a little bit. I've at least in my experience. I agree with that. Like there's no, there's no better feeling than just no, like knowing you have a big edge and being able to take the not best price because you just feel right. like you feel like uh invincible, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like this amazing spot. Of course, like you, you have to do all the right things with the sizing and I'm not, I'm not advocating for, you know, like oversizing spots or being overconfident. But when you do find those situations where you can bet, second best, third best, whatever it is, price, knowing that you have an angle that's, that works, that you have a better, that you have better data, that, you know, whatever you have something figured out it is a really nice feeling because it takes a lot of the anxiety off of, um, wondering if they're going to drop the hammer on you. Like, of course they still might. Like if you're just, if you have such a good spot, that's like, going to be obvious in a week why you won all this money you still could get limited but it is nice to find those spots and speaking of those spots i think now the question i'm getting the most besides how do i do my taxes which i don't respond to those questions and inquiries i'm not an accountant um but the other question i get the most is like how do you dip your toe into creating your own prices to finding spots where you can bet the second best price. Because like you said, if you're using the odd screens, you're by definition betting the best price, like 99% of the time, you know? Yeah. So the, my suggestion, it depends a little bit on how um, technically inclined someone is to start with. So I, I'm going to sort of assume, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give answers, I guess, for everybody. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so, What's he gonna do? I I think if I were because I get this question uh, sometimes, probably not nearly as frequently as you, but sometimes you know in my DMs I'll, I'll get a similar type just, of question. Of, just wait till till this episode releases. <laughs> God, just wait. <laughs> I, I usually say I'll answer any DM. I, That's I what Mister Limited part. said. Uh, you can ask him. Oh God, I don't know. What no, I, I don't know. I think he actually. To. I think he did. I think he still does answer all his DMs, but you'll. Okay. Uh, I, can, I will answer any. SP's any, on record. Any DMs. And yes. He also says he is a gambling tax expert. I he not wants to answer. Either. <laughs> I will respond. I can't promise the responses is what you want, um, but I will respond. So, um, okay. So, in terms of if you wanted to get started, I think my my suggestion would be 
the following steps. So I would go to, I would peruse, you know, the, if you're using rec books or, or whatever you're using, uh, hopefully you have a couple options to you in terms of books, but I would peruse the books and try and find, I guess, first finding the market I would go after. So I would try mm-hmm. and find a market that ideally is something that's offered with uh, some sort of regular occurrence. Yes. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's, it's frequently offered. Like, so a bad example of, of, what I would not go after is I know the Super Bowl is coming up. Like yep. I would not do this exercise for that. And I'll, I'll explain why in a second, but I would, I would look for something that is offered regularly. And ideally I would look for something that is unique to one book or, or a few uh, books. So I would look yeah. for a, a prop. I should have clarified that. I would definitely look for a small, small market. Like as, if you're just starting out, I would look for as small as humanly possible. I would look for something where you're thinking who and like in their right mind would bet on this, honestly. And I know that's, you know, sort of counter to what I was saying, but if we're just starting out, this is where I would, I would start out. And so now you have a market only offered on one book. Um, that's, you know, there are prices on for every day and it, it's, it's better if there's like a lot of prices. So to give examples for this, like, um, you know, like sports where there's, there's stuff happening every day or very frequently, like stuff like tennis, or, you know, there's golf basically every weekend of the year, mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. And then what I would do is, you know, it, it's very dependent on what, what the prop is, but I would just, you know, try and think through how would I actually go about pricing this? Like, what, what do I think the book is looking at to price this? What do I think I would do? Um, and so it's usually you know, the process of pricing anything is you usually need some sort of collection of data. Um, mm-hmm. So if it's, you know, like a derivative market, like if, if you're looking at, um, I, I don't suggest, you know, going after a market like this, but an example, if you're trying to price uh, second half totals in the NFL, um, you know, you might need, you know, what a historical database of, of lines in the NFL and then, you know, results and can do something. Along that, if you're doing something like, um, you know, more not or not as um, not as clear of a derivative, so more like uh, I don't know, um, something like more player prop based, you probably need some sort of you know player results database or something or play by play data that you can roll up or whatever. And so I think I think picking the market is the first step, and then trying to come up with a price. Is, is the second step and it's going to probably be quite bad um, yes. to start. And I, I think just starting in Excel or something you're comfortable with is even on like legitimately, you could do it on pen and paper for like a s- specific example and just think about the process and then convert that to Excel and then whatever later you convert that to code as you could do you grow. That's fine. But I think coming up with a price and the reason it's good to pick a market that, is offered frequently and it's good to pick a market where there's a lot of offerings is it, you're going to get more rapid feedback than if you, you know, do a Super Bowl prop or whatever. So if yes. you are coming up with, let's say um, you're, you're trying to project how many uh, double faults, for an example, someone's going to have in tennis, like tennis, those, you know, there's going to be dozens of tennis players playing every day. Um, 
you know, you're going to be able to compare your prices to market and you're going to quickly figure out where I'm wrong. If you're consistently, whatever, 50% higher than the market, you're probably missing something. If you are consistently low on a certain type of player, uh, maybe there's, you know, certain surfaces or whatever that matter, like you're going to, you're going to quickly figure this out and you're going to be able to continue to to tune it in and, and figure out what you're missing. And so that would be, I guess, my overarching, uh, sort of how to, or what I would suggest someone do. Yeah. I, I love it. I think those are, that's, that's perfect. And I, most people would, I, I know I would, when I was first starting out, probably I wouldn't, I didn't pick the market. The first thing I actually priced, I don't know if I have even mentioned this, but it was like in 2015, I had just read Moneyball and started following like fan graphs. And I was sure that I was going to be able to like price baseball money lines. Like I was just in Excel. I was like, obviously this is going to happen. And like, I definitely didn't win, but I created something that spit a price out and that helped. And it, I did get a lot of feedback and my feedback was like, I probably can't win doing this. So I stopped, but, and I continued to play poker, but I, uh, I think getting a price out also just shows you that, you know, it's not all magic. Like these books aren't just like magic. There's a set of steps they take to put prices out that you can take too. So yes, your first price might suck, but you're getting the reps in. Um, but if I had maybe picked a better market, I might have found I could win and spit out a price that won the first time, and that might have changed things drastically for me. So going to pick a market first, I agree, is more important than trying to just go find a price. Spend time thinking about the market. The question I have for you is, should we be picking a market that we have some domain knowledge in, like know the sport pretty well? Does that stop us from, you know, potentially uh, massive pitfalls we just like might not be aware of, or does it not really matter? I'm glad you you brought that up. I should have. I, I should. I should add that to my uh, my, to the, list. my uh, the, the list. I think. I see we were talking about this a little bit. We talked about this offline. Like the idea that you can't learn um, things from watching sports or that sports betting is just all math is, you know, so absurd to me. Um, like I was waiting uh, to see any, what, like, uh, what adjective you used. Well, I, <laughs> like, I don't think. I, I don't think I've ever heard uh, an ex- uh, swear word on this podcast, so I wanted to I wanted to keep it PG. Ah, uh, uh, very good. But um, yeah, I mean, I a hundred percent think you should go after something you you know something about because the reality is when you're modeling anything, uh, the more you know about what you're actually trying to model and what's important is that has to be valuable. That is valuable. Um, I've, I've certainly bet on sports that I know more and less about, and I've bet on sports and, you know, bet on a sport maybe with watching very little of that, um, that sport, um, you know, more, more sure. math and data focus. And then you watch a sport and you're like, you see like, what are five pitfalls with what you assumed yep. or are doing? It, it doesn't make sense. And so, 
I 100% think, you know, having domain knowledge is valuable. I mean, the only the only thing I'd say on on that though is a caveat is the, the majority of sports people watch are the popular ones, right? Like yeah. Football, basketball, and those are also the most competitive ones. So if I were to pick the perfect sport, it would be you know a sport you like and will watch um, that is less popular. Um, yeah. I always, but knowing I always something about it certainly helps. Because it's like, I think I got lucky, like, I de- or sorry, not think. I definitely ran good liking golf and knowing a lot about golf. Because it's like kind of one of the perfect sports to bet where, like you said, regular occurrence, golf's almost offered or occurred like every weekend of the year, which is crazy. It's not a major sport, but it's not small enough where you can't get size down. Um, when you start scaling, but for the people that are you know listening and love NBA, love NFL, like is there something should we be should we be maybe pushing them like an NFL person to go take a peek into like Canadian football or a smaller market within an NFL game? Like they specialize in um, like I don't know. Halftime, like when when betting uh, when betting opens up at halftime, they start betting like second half player props, or you know what I'm saying. Like, should we be, you know, niching down within the sport, going to a slightly different sport that might be more niche? Like, what do you think? What do you think there? I, I like I said, I think ideally you would you have at least one sport you watch that is not one of the, I guess, okay. big three in MLB, NFL, NBA. Um, but if, if really you don't watch anything else, the reality is in, in whatever today's landscape of sports betting at a lot of the, um, legal sports books, there's just so many options on even like NFL, um, that there are markets that are really small and I think really beatable for a lot of people. Like if you go small enough, like I, like I said, I, I don't suggest doing, like going after markets that are very available across all books on odd screens. I mean, that's a good way to know yes. if, it's, if it's not something you should go, like it, it should very much not be on an odd screen. Um, Cause if, if you can see that, then so can everybody else. So can, you know, anybody who works at a sports book, like that's not, um, you know, proprietary stuff. So that that's what I was sort of getting at at the only one book offers it because then if you're going after uh, something that really only one book offers, which is again, sort of like why I really, why I wrote the, the scaling article and why it's a lot of what I, what I think about is like, if you don't have a skill set to attack that, like that's just not going to be something that's attackable for you. And like, that's where the real opportunity is because when you are, when, when only one book offers something, um, it's more, it's like one V one at that point. Yes. Right. You're not, you're not competing into a market, not nearly in the same way as, you know, if, if something's on 10 different books. Um, so I'm always looking for stuff like that, where this is the only book doing this. Now I only have to be like one person. Or one team, you know? Exactly. And I don't know, I have an example and I'd love to hear maybe if you have an example of this, that's kind of like dead. So it can, can be talked about, but the one I give 
kind of frequently because I also say, try and find something that only I, you know, this is something I, I try and tell people who are getting into uh, bottom up. It's the prize picks fairway market. And like, I took the time to sit down and model out fairways and I had like a 50% edge. <laughs> like it was insane. And they were the only book that offered it. And it was me versus the guy that prize picks hired that, you know, like just, it wasn't, it just wasn't a fair fight. And what they would do is they would put it up, they would take it down, they would put it back up, you know, one week it'd be down, one week it would be back up. And they just, they were totally lost because they had no other book to go look at. It was a true one V one. And if you just outwork or, you know, just do it better than the other person, you only have to beat that one person, then you, there's nothing they can do in defense because they can't lean on an odd screen. They can't lean on another book to simply just price off when they're unsure. So what they did with fairways is they just put it up and put it down and put it up. And then they, for a while, they took it down for like two months. I feel like they must've thought they worked on it, put it back up, got smoked, took it back down. Like it's just like this hilarious back and forth. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking as you were talking, I think I have, well, I'll, I'll say one broader example that I could say one that I was trying to think of something guys is definitely at least, I, I think it's mostly dead or entirely dead. Um, so, I mean, just on the, that, that prize picks example, I always, I think I tweeted about this before. Like I always think it's funny or not funny, but <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. The people who are like going after, like spending their time and effort, um, all their time and effort, I guess I should say, like on the DFS apps, on the the markets that there's like widely available lines for. Like, yep. I'm not saying you can't beat like uh, NBA and NFL and whatnot on prize picks and underdogs. It, you obviously very much can, especially with uh, some of the, the correlation stuff that's been greatly reduced. But like the the real opportunity to me in those sites have been like they are offering lines on cricket and yep. I think it's pronounced high lie and you know sports oh, that right, le- right. like le- legitimately are not offered anywhere and so they're like even more so you're really competing against like one guy with some probably like excel model working at these companies trying to put up lines and that's that sounds like what you were describing in um for the fairway stuff so that that's certainly one example I think the other the, other, the first example that came to mind is um uh at points bet which is obviously notorious is yes. pretty severe limiting book so at least when they first came to uh the state i was in when uh a legal state um they allowed they allowed me to bet for just a couple weeks i think and i, I think part of the reason um well, it was, for anybody it was listening, short. that is a long time on points bet. Right. Just, just for the record, <laughs> right? Well, I, I think it was part. part it, it, it has changed so much. I mean, that that first month or two when they came to, I lived in Illinois, um, a great state for betting. Right? They were they were much more lenient, I guess, for at least a couple months. I think they came in. I feel like very like the summer. And it, it wasn't just that that book. I think it was just a, like a land grab for most. Uh, of the sports books, but, you know, points bet offered, you know, like their whole name is based on this type of bet where 
um, you know, your, your win and loss isn't necessarily, it's, it's not binary. So, yes. um, you know, if you bet, for example, on, you know, the Chiefs minus seven and they win by 40, you get paid more than if they win by 10. And there was some, there was some market up um, and they had really complicated stuff. Um, they had stuff where it would be like win margin times um, total or something like that. Yeah. So it, would, it wasn't just sort of like linear. And I remember there was a market up that was, I think it was win margin squared or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And, I heard about some of those crazy things they're offering. That's bananas. Right. And and the way, yeah. And so, I mean, the math of that is like at higher spreads, you know, like going from winning by one to two is an increase of like one squared, two squared. That's That's a difference of three. Right, four mm. minus one. But if you go from twenty-seven to twenty-eight, that's a huge like twenty-seven or twenty-eight squared minus twenty-seven squared is is a is a big number. Yep. Uh, and so there was big opportunities betting on like bigger favorites. I think they capped like they they didn't allow you if it was I don't remember if it was like a more than a twenty-one point favorite, which was sort of like a sign that if you're betting this at twenty-one, yep. it's probably like really good. Because they yeah. sort of just arbitrarily cut it, and so that was to answer your question. Like that's an example of a book that has a unique bet type that nobody, like they don't have anybody else to compare that pricing to, um, and so you could just make like huge errors in those instances. So I feel, felt fine talking about that because I, I don't even think that I don't even know is I don't even know if points bets around anymore. I think they got acquired. So they got acquired by fanatics. And I really don't, I, I hear now fanatics is basically like taking the points bet approach to, okay. to action, uh, which is, you know, too bad because I feel like fanatics at first said a lot of things about how they were going to um, be like every sports book says, I points book even said it, but yeah, we, we, we get information from winning betters. We want winning, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, it's almost like a points bet edge is worth like not that's that's one where you can just share it. This is like might as well have right. people hop on and uh, hop on and hit it for the one day they're allowed to bet there. Um, but yeah, I think that's a that's a perfect example of what you need to be looking for. And I think in it highlights another important concept in gambling, which is like the looking the scouting concept. If you talk to the the you know, the APs that go casino to casino and they're looking for maybe like slots or certain table games with certain conditions, or they don't even know what they're looking for, but they're just trying to find something new or find a good blackjack game with good rules. There's a lot of time spent scouting for the right conditions for the right game. And there's this, there's this incentive for us to feel like, Oh, we need to immediately get in and start doing something. And sure. Like if, it helps to to have a bias towards action, but like there's so much value poking and prodding around a sports book, just seeing where you should devote your time. Because, you know, if you point 10 hours of time at the wrong thing, it's, it's, you could make $0. If you point 10 hours of time at the right thing, it could be like a six figure opportunity. So the, the payouts are so massive when it comes to, uh, 
the differences and opportunities that like it's worth the time to go look for the right spots. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that that's why I really try and be mindful about what I'm going to spend my time and effort on um, to invest. If I'm, if I'm going to try and beat something, um, I want to make sure that, like I say, either either that opportunity in of itself is going to be worth it or it is going to put me in a better position to do other things in the future. So that's that's what I'm really looking to do when I when I go after when after things. And the doing other things in the future that is un- criminally underlooked, undervalued, because if you take up a project and you know Excel, but you don't know Python. This was me. This was me. So it's like, I just needed to start a project where I felt like it was worth it enough for me to learn Python. And if that project didn't provide any actual monetary value to whatever the, whatever the, uh, whatever bets I was, you know, whatever the model was outputting, if it like didn't, win or whatever, if the opportunity got shut down by the site and they didn't want to take bets, that's okay because I learned Python. So like when you're evaluating an opportunity, like SP said there, it's like the second half is, am I getting something from this that will compound for me later? And if that's, you know, some type of technical skill, I think the answer is like always yes. And something that I hear a lot from, I think it's from Colin Jones, who's a blackjack blackjack player it's like have multiple bottom lines like one of your bottom lines could be monetary but the other could be skills knowledge could even be having fun or freeing up time like to think about it holistically i think helps with what you were talking about with scaling and making it fit appropriately like into your life and thinking about it in terms of like a time trading for money or leveraging skills you know xyz so i think that Second thing is evaluating, are you getting something out of it that's not monetary? If yes, then it's probably, there's a massive floor to the project. You know, you're, you're going to win one way or another. And those are the, the you know, you, you're basically free rolling the situation. I mean, if you have a, a day job and you can do something that's a hobby, like gambling, and you can learn something that helps your day job and you break even or even make a little bit of money. Like that's a, it's a, to me, that's a huge win. And that's, huge. that's something I would be more, that's again, that's why I, that's why I try and focus my time on projects where I'm going to, even if they're not, you know, successful in gambling, like it's going to set me up for something else, whether it's a different gambling project, you know, maybe I have a chunk of code or lines of code or workbook or whatever, like that can help me on a different project. Um, or, you know, I just learned something and can do something faster, you know, in the future. Totally. And it's a good segue to, I think, one of the most interesting conversations you brought up. Because something that can help you is if you build a database, you'll eventually probably get something out of it. But um, the conversation of having 10 out of 10 data or being a 10 out of 10 modeler. So this is something you kind of posed to the community you wrote about in a long form article, do you want to just uh, briefly walk the audience through the article and then what your thoughts were around uh, the conclusions and why you want to pose that question to the community? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the general 
thesis of the the post was that there's there's really um, three ways to win in gambling. I said I, I've said it a couple of times that there's many many ways, but at, at its core, it boils down to three things. You can either have better information than um, the market or you know the, the your opponent. So that could be that could be broad, right? So that could be you um, you know have a proprietary data source, or it could be something as simple as you uh, know someone you know the star quarterback's not playing. So any type of better information is one way to win. The second way is um, the interpretation of that. Your interpretation of that information can be better. So that could be um, again different. That can take different forms. That could be you are a better better modeler than um, the guys working at Prize Picks on on their fairway model, or that could be um, you know. Again, it doesn't have to be all modeling based or technical based. It could be this quarterback is out. You you know the mo- you think the, the market's overreacting to it or whatever, right? It, it doesn't. I guess I'm saying right. this to say like these things don't have to be technical. Um, totally. And then the the third way, I guess, which it didn't really cover in the article, is you can you can be more effective at um, using those first two data and. Um, the interpretation to actually get down. And so this is just, this is more like the person who really is the, the good networker gets accounts. That's, that's their sort of thing. So they don't necessarily, you know, focus on the first two, but they, they're really good at getting money down and working with other people. So my, my area of interest and focus really is on the first two. And what, what sort of I was trying to hit on, on the article is I think there's like a, like people, people tend to idolize people who they view as like really smart in terms of modeling and um, you know mm-hmm. data science. And I mean, all the buzzwords these days about. I, I feel like two thirds of people giving out picks these days have have some sort of artificial intelligence <laughs> thing in their bio or something. Yeah. Um, and so people really gravitate towards that. But in at least in my experience and in my opinion that is much less valuable than having data that is unique and valuable and interesting. So um, the reality for me is that there is pretty quickly decreasing marginal returns on, on modeling. Um, I mean, to give, so I, I, I'm in, uh, but my day job is I, I'm an actuary, so I'm definitely not like the. I'm certainly not like a, a ten out of ten modeler, um, but it's it's a big it's not, part of you know yeah. what I do, uh, and so I'm definitely probably biased a little bit by that fact that I'm not like if I was the world's best modeler, I probably would be saying like, oh no, this is the most important. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are people. I'm, I'm sure there same. are people who feel feel <laughs> that way. Um, but you know, I think having data that nobody else has access to, like you don't have to be, um, you don't have to be very good at modeling at all. You can be pretty average if you, if you have something and are using something, the market or your opponent isn't, isn't using. So I think, uh, I could talk a little bit more about like, you know, some of the ways to, to find that data. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I'm not, not giving any, any whatever. Yeah, sure. Trade, trade secrets away. But, um, that's, that's sort of like the, my thinking on it is, is I try and focus on 
areas where I want, I want to compete where I have a data advantage. I don't want to compete yeah. where I have yeah. to build a better mousetrap than my opponents. Totally. I feel the exact same. And I remember in the comments, someone was like, someone was like, no, it's the modeling, you know, in golf, you have all this data. Everyone has the same data except for injuries. I remember thinking like, I literally spent all my time focusing on golf and certainly this is not true. Like there's, there's so much data that you're probably not even thinking is like accessible or gettable, but there's people out there. Like what's to stop you of, of sending someone to each PGA tour tournament, taking a moisture reading from the ground, you know, like there's, there's data, there's like unlimited, honestly, upside of good data. And I say this because I have this example. It's like, if you knew the game was literally rigged and that this team was going to win, then I don't care, you know, how much a, a model, you know, how good a modeler are you just going to smash um, the your smash full bankroll in? This is just assuming this is actually like reliable information, and you'd win. And that's the upside of a data advantage. And of course, I'm not advocating for any fixing of games, but like as a thought exercise, right? The upside to good data is so much higher than the upside, like you said, like the cap, the ceiling of good modeling is nowhere near the ceiling of good data or unique data. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, like like I said, for anybody who who's done like modeling before, um, there's certainly gains to be had by getting better at it. I mean, like I think most people who do is get better over time. But in reality, like again, the the biggest money maker opportunities are when you're just using something that that other people are not. Couldn't agree more. This is also me as a like definitely a worse modeler than you and definitely a worse modeler than uh you know some of the best people in the space but i think like the way i i've made it work has been with unique markets and unique data like exactly the approach you're advocating for so i would wholeheartedly agree my thinking now is maybe we just briefly talk about like someone's listening to this they're like okay great i didn't want to become a 10 out of 10 modeler anyway i want to go find good data you know where do where do they start what are they looking for yeah so this one depends i think a lot on your your technical prowess at least to start so i mean me just being transparent like most of the the data most of the data edges for me has come from being able to scrape or yep compile data sources that are not necessarily easy to compile i mean there's millions of people out there who can who can scrape stuff, so I'm not unique in that. But to 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 um, like append to to apply, yeah, to apply it to to markets, yeah, that's yeah. probably not a lot of people are looking at. I think is somewhat unique. So uh, like if you're if you're technically if you're listening to this and you're technically good, I would say you know like a lot of websites make it very hard to scrape, or they try to, and the harder it is, generally like. That's more like of a green light that tells yeah. me like I need to do this because yep. there's probably a lot of people who quit along the way. Um, yes, yes, exactly. So that would be the, the technical um, answer. I, I think obviously the vast majority of people, that's not a skill set they have and that's not a skill set they'll ever want to have or, or develop. So I think for, for the less technical person, what I would say is um, I would focus on um, – sort of collecting collecting data that is um, specific to 
sort of unique outlier events. So what I mean by this is like, there are so many markets these days on stuff. I'll just give you some examples like yeah. uh, first, first basket or, um, you know, you could do different teams, first play tendency, or um, there's a ton of stuff and opportunity in, in some of the like same game um, parlay type markets where, you know, those are, those are priced very, I guess, uniformly based on everything I've, I've seen. So they're not really taking into consideration that the wide receiver one and the quarterback have this interaction on team A and they have this interaction on team B. Um, yeah. And like how, how those, that's, that's just one example, but like how, how teams specifically like interact or correlate or tendencies. And so if you can, my, my, thought here is trying to collect data that's not in like it, it certainly shouldn't be something that's available in a box score so it could be stuff like um you know these these things are probably mostly tried up not entirely depending on the market but like you know some teams do different things on coin tosses or some teams do yep. you know like different different things like that and so like collecting databases like that it could be very manual right um Sure, but you should, th- that's where I would look for like tendency, team tendency type stuff, and trying to find patterns there that are not priced where priced as though there is a pattern there or something like that. Yeah, I and I'm not like I'm not an expert uh, scraper by by any means, so I can attest to like the second half of that. And I think anytime, yeah, you can build that unique data set, it might be kind of smashing together a couple of different data sets that are a little easier but if you um if you combine them with the appropriate question in mind you can get actually a a like kind of a thoughtful answer that might not be easily apparent because first of all people have to take the time to like properly um create a database using a few different sources which is already like a little bit more of a pain than I, at least I would have, I always originally think. And then it's like, you want to, if you have the right question in mind, usually um, you can combine them in a way where you can get to an answer easier with like pretty basic modeling, but you have to kind of set yourself up for success by um, knowing what you're trying to figure out. I think the first basket thing is really interesting because you're thinking, yeah, first play tendencies. Like, is this a team that likes to shoot threes on the first play? It comes to mind as something that might be might be important as to like maybe a team that likes to, you know, take a two pointer in the, you know, go for like a fast two pointer in the paint or something. And who's their center? And they're you know, um, and how do they always put put this guy out on the tip or whatever? But there's data there that you can maybe have to even hand map. But if you're solving for that problem eventually you're going to come up with a data set that like you can use without scraping to try and figure that out. I think. Right. Right. I mean, like if you, if you knew who won every jump ball in the NBA, I assume you could make money off of that. And right. I, I don't like, that's not really something I uh, like NBA is not a big, big sport of focus for me. Um, so I don't, maybe that information is publicly available. I would guess it's not. And so if you have access to that, like that, seems like a good, like, I feel very strongly that you could make money off of that. Um, and so having access to that yeah. might, might just be like, you have 
whatever the NBA, like all 60, or, I don't forget the NFL right. version of it, but it's like, you just go back and literally start of every game. You have the Pistons and you're like, okay, Pistons, one, one lost, one, 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 one. you know, like, and exactly. right. if it's annoying, that's fine because that means other people don't want to do it. So actually, if it's really annoying to do that, like you said, with the harder it is to scrape, the more of a green light it is. Kind of the more annoying something is to do, the more of a green light it is. I, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Absolutely. If it's something you can Google and like either like the worst would be the absolute worst would be like you could download a CSV or something of it. Like yeah. That is not going to be very valuable. But if it's if like you're searching for it online, like it's yeah, let's say it's something you wanted like some stat or something you wanted to put into your you know model or pricing or or it's just it's it's in itself. If you can't find it anywhere. Like that is likely valuable. And so whether it's collected manually or scrape, like whether it's hard to scrape or you have to just a lot of work to collect it manually, like I'm not saying no one else is doing it, but probably not many people are doing it. And they're, therefore it's probably like valuable in yes. that sense. Yes. Okay. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about because we kind of teased it early was uh, DraftKings pick six and the new, uh, this new rise of like combining traditional DFS with Pick'em where it's like player versus player Pick'em. Um, we've talked a bit about it. I think that it was incredibly good at first, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on like what you think first the the prospects are of this type of game. Like, Do you see this catching on or do you see this kind of um, fizzling? Yeah, yeah. Um- I think so. So the at first, like you said, like people were playing really, really poorly. Um, just looking at the, the contest results, that's yeah. definitely changed. Uh, it yep. didn't take very long to figure out. I actually had discussed this maybe a couple of years ago uh, with a couple. It was actually on a different podcast, and this thought has been the, the thought of this gate type of game has been floated for like years within the traditional DFS community as like, this is what you know, sports betting or DFS is going to turn to. The problem with the game as it is currently constructed is it's incredibly simple. Um, yep. And so when you are playing, Interesting. when you have a peer-to-peer game, you like, I, I'm speaking from the vantage point of someone who wants to win money at this. So like, I, I'll, I'll comment on like, what I actually think of the viability because the viability to me is really going to depend on how much like recreational players like to play. That's, that's true in any peer to peer game. That's the reason, you know, traditional DFS has been so successful for so long. If you just have a bunch of, um, you know, sharp people in there, those ecosystems don't, they quickly enter like a death spiral. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the game is just, to me, it's it's a little it's too simple in that the strategy is it could be explained in you know about two set like I could explain it in about two sentences to someone um, you know it's not really rocket science the the idea is to get as many picks right and do it in a way that other people are not getting their picks right and so I think most people who who can gamble successfully in other arenas can figure out sort of what what the strategy is, um, I've tweeted a little bit about it. I mean, it's, it's no secret. Like, people generally love taking, uh, like, 
recreational people generally love taking overs. That's not a secret. Um, right. But more and more so, it's it's getting to this uh, little bit more of an equilibrium. It seems where you know there's enough sharp people in there taking the unders, such that that's like you know weighing like like evening it out, such that there's not a t- not nearly as much opportunity as there was in the beginning. I haven't done like a full you know sim or anything on it to see how profitable it is. I I still play. I still think it's it's good and beatable. But with the you know the break structure and just the the simplicity of the game. I don't think it takes it will take very long for it to be become a game that's not really beatable uh, or not super beatable or worth worth time. So I worry about it from that perspective. Um, the other perspective I worry about it just like in terms of longevity is I don't think casual gamblers will really love the idea of hitting six out of six and getting paid far less than. Like you can get paid on on prize picks or, or underdog or whatever. So I I mean the variability to me makes the game a little bit more interesting and and it is simple, but it makes it more interesting than just straight up sports betting. But I worry that that is a bug and not a feature for most people. And so that also does not have me super optimistic on, on the game in general. Yeah. I Jen, I echo those thoughts. I we, when we talked when it first came out, it was insane. Like you said, you, yeah, you could go in and you click through the CSVs that show like the contest picks, which is something that everybody who's playing pick six and I assume I don't know if Underdog does this or not, but at least for pick six, you can see everybody in your contest entries. And certainly something that you need to be doing if you're playing these, and you'd be like. <laughs> You'd be like the only person, A, taking unders, and B, you're the only person correlating. And it's like, this is absolutely insane. You're just like free rolling like a a 40x payout on like a pick six or like a 50x or whatever, you know, picks, whatever pick count you're doing. But I did, I always thought in the beginning, of course, just like win and whatever. But I was thinking the flip side, it's like the flip side of that is when the wreck wins or the overs hit. And they all had the same like six picks. They're getting a pick six that pays like nine X. And there's that one Twitter account that you like responded to. And this Twitter account's like a comedy, uh, the DK guy. And he's like, anytime like a big um, pick six comes out, he'll post it. And then he'll never post like the, the ones that are, aren't good. And then he never talks about the rake. And it's just like this clear, clear, like push. It almost now feels to me like this guy in DraftKings is trying to like put lipstick on a pig, like from the very get go, because the wrecks all hit together because they bet the same stuff. So they're probably just so frustrated. They lose, 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 lose. They finally win and they get nothing. Like there, there can't. I can't imagine. There's just like a more frustrating feeling for a recreational gambler. So I'm kind of with you on the fact that the rec experience in these games, combined with a rake, that's let's face it, too high. They're doing nothing like to earn that rake. It just, it just feels like the rec experience is just lo- like the experience is just losing. That's it. Yeah, and I, I actually had someone, uh, not not the guy that I've responded to on Twitter. I had someone else um, that that works 
works for uh, DraftKings reach out to me after I wrote that that article on the product. And I think they are like aware. They, he he was very aware of the criticisms and and whatnot, and you know thought thought the the points I laid out in the article were valid, and was actually asking for some feedback on or my thoughts on on some of it. So I, I know there that it's early, so I'm, I'm a little hesitant to be like overly critical of the game because I mean. Like DFS, like traditional DFS had a lot of, I mean, a lot of the same phenomenon happens in DFS. Like a big part of, you know, daily fantasy for, for sports where duplication is a, is a big issue is, um, you know, being able to submit unique unique lineups and um, not do what the, the most common thing to do is, I guess, because, right. you know, it's very frequent. There might be a 100K prize up top. And whatever, 30 people tie, and now you're not getting paid a whole lot. You want to win when you're the only one who wins. And so right. this is, it's really the same thing. And so it, it I'm not saying it's like, it's definitely over. Um, it, it's just, it actually becomes a little, I think we're still in an interesting period because I think right now, at least, we're at a point where you have the wrecks pouring in like all overs. And then, you know, a complicating part of the game is they have been pricing really terribly. I don't know if you've been playing lately. They've been pricing really, really terribly, like far too high yep. on almost all their props lately. Yep. And so that's getting, you know, in the beginning it was good, like taking a 50-50 under now because it's like weighted to like maybe, I don't know, they're, they've been really bad, like maybe 65% of the time going under, like on just in general, because they're pricing all the lines way too high as compared to the market. Um, it's just getting all these unders. And so now you have sort of like a a barbell where you have a ton of people taking all overs. You have a ton of people taking all unders. And I mean, I, I have I've not thought about the game a ton. Um, right. In terms of strategy, like not done a ton of work. But me, me neither. Me neither. You know, the other day, I guess, you know, on NFL weekend, it was, it was a sort of an interesting one. The payouts were ex- extremely high. And I think it was a large part due to the fact that like, basically I think if you're playing for the game to end zero, zero, or I know I can't end that, but like a very low scoring game or a very high scoring game, I find it hard to believe there's like a ton of opportunity in either of those right now. Um, If I'm giving a little bit of what I would think the strategy is, Mm -hmm. I think you want to think of, of different game scripts other than that. Cause right now, based on what I'm seeing, it's just going to be very crowded at those. Like if everybody goes under or everybody goes over, and I know it's not everybody, but if lots of people go over, lots of people go under, like it's getting to the point where the benefit of being unique, I think, is is uh, potentially worth more than than some of the correlation aspects. So that's not, again, not actual analysis or anything, but I'm just, based on what I'm seeing, that would be, that's, that's sort of like what I'm how I'm thinking about the game these days. Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't even thought about it as as deeply as as you. But um, because I, yeah, when it first came out, I was like, oh, it's no, it's such an, there, it was such a no brainer, right thing where I could just correlate unders for three minutes and then just close the app and like wake up and usually just have won a lot of money. <laughs> it was like, wow, this is awesome. Right. And after like I. I, I would always check the entries like manually. I didn't put it into any databases or run any 
um, code on it, but I would you know, just check through it. And then I saw oh, people are doing like more correlated unders. And then I basically came to that, that question that you're, you're posing, which is, are, are we trying to find a mixed strategy or do we, is that, does that outweigh the benefit of correlation or does it outweigh the benefit of these lines being so bad that like, you know, the unders are going to have a 65% hit rate. And I thought to myself, I was like, I don't really feel like I'm going to be able to solve this in a fast enough time to make it worth it for me right now. And part of it had to do with, I was like a little skeptical of the longevity of the product, but I certainly think like that's a good situation. If you live in a state where you're only on like the DFS apps and you want to, you want to do something that's worthwhile, like maybe go try and be one of the first people who really gets good at the game theory of these pick six games. There, There's a huge opportunity there. Like these games run every day. It's peer versus peer. So, you know, you're as good as your di- the difference between you and the average player in the field, you know, which could be, could be stretched. You know, you could put a lot of time in when they're not. So I think it's a good opportunity to do some, uh, really like thoughtful analysis. Uh, personally, like I haven't really found the time to do it, but would you say like, this is kind of a good spot for somebody who's in one of those States that might not be, uh, welcome at prize picks and an underdog much anymore and wanted to find something to do. A hundred percent. I, I, yeah, I want to be clear. I think the games are still very beatable based on what I'm seeing. Um, it's just, they, it's cycling. It, it's going through the same sort of cycles that traditional DFS went through. It, it's just happening much, much faster because I think the game is, is simpler. So like in traditional DFS, you know, it, in the very early stages, it was enough to just play. Like, honestly, it was enough to play people who weren't injured or sitting like that was <laughs> enough at first. And then, you know, it was, you, people just played the quote unquote best plays, like the people who were projected for the best, most points that was good enough to win tournaments. And then it moved to, Oh, actually these, these people are correlated we should put them in our lineup together. And then that, that was good enough to win. Yeah. And now DFS is at a point where, you know, it's it it's all of that, but then it's also what is everybody else in the field doing? And how how do I best put myself in a position to leverage that? Like so when, you know, what what outcome when it's these certain outcomes happen, I will be you know, at the top alone by myself, you know, I can really stand apart. And so it's, it's going through, it's basically, yeah, it's going through those same cycles. It's really the same game. The thing that makes it simpler and and to me less, just generally less interesting is the fact that it's binary in a way that DFS is it. So like it would be potentially more interesting if instead of like you win six legs, you lose six whatever one of how many six legs like the placement position is on it goes to almost like a points bet type of thing where yeah. if you win your prop by 30 yards that's better than winning your prop by 20 yards something like that and because you know as it's currently constructed there's just got like a lot of 
duplication and overlap. And it just makes it simpler when it's binary like that. So I certainly think there's there's opportunities and in the in like that that game theory aspect of the game. Yeah. Um, but I think it's yeah, it's like I guess going back to collecting like data sets and where, you know, unique data like if you if you collected I mean I think my basically most of the edge for me, I guess in the beginning, it was, like you said, mostly just people not knowing what, what the hell was going on. But uh, also, like, just collecting data on what people are doing, I think, was valuable. Like, because yep. even, it's, it's one thing to know people are going mostly overs. But if you know what team or players or stat type. Interesting. Because there's, there's very much a bias it's it's very funny actually there's certain stat stat types that almost are exclusively taken over and there's certain stat types that all the the sharp people take the unders and it's it's very I have split a, like that i have a theory i have a theory it, yeah and so if you can because you, you don't really want to it's in, in this type of game really what you want to do is you don't want to just be different than the popular like like if you knew ninety nine percent of people were on a pick, you would not take like just a different pick. You would want to just be on the opposite side, right? Right. No just matter how, play. like even if the probability is like whatever seventy percent, you just want to be on the opposite because if that ninety, if the play that the ninety nine percent are in wins, like no matter what you're on, like even if you win your other pick, like it's worthless. Like you, you won no money. Right. You really win when other people are wrong, and so if you know you know, what teams, what types of players, what types of stat types um, people want to bet on or not bet on, like that, that is valuable. So I definitely think there's opportunities still. I, I hope it, you know, they can, they can continue to improve and tweak the game. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, lo- I'd honestly, I'd love to yeah. see it. It's just, it's sustainable from a sense that there's no incentive for, for DraftKings well, there's there's not as much of an incentive for DraftKings to limit you, uh, and maybe they'll, as as it stands, they have, you know, max entry dollar amounts. Mm-hmm. And is there a point in time where maybe they just kind of inch those down for certain people? Maybe, but then it doesn't necessarily even hurt the ecosystem that much. Like it could, it could even be good. So. There is longevity in getting good at that, which is nice, which is the same as traditional DFS. And I always was somewhat jealous of the people who are really good at traditional DFS because they're never thinking about cover and getting limited and, and whatever. They're just doing the best they can um, to win the game. And the same as poker, you know, it's it's uh it's it's definitely I'm sure like as you're someone who comes more from that background, it's kinda nice, right, to to just be in there battling other people and trying to be the best instead of worrying about getting, getting the boot. It's the wonderful, wonderful allure of peer to peer games. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, like that's, again, I, I feel like we keep hitting on the same topic. Like part of the reason, like learning skills is if, if you can build skills to be peer to peer games, like that is, um, you know, like a true cash cow because you are not, constantly churning accounts you're not constantly getting booted and have to figure that out like if you can i mean that that's the equivalent of, of being very very liquid markets um yes know, so um great point yes and do you think I, it's easier I, peer-to-peer than very liquid markets 
Um, I think it depends what peer-to-peer game we're talking about, but like yeah. DFS, for example, I yeah. think is is very much yeah, very not much poker, more like, beatable. Yeah, right. I think that's much more beatable than like like I would think someone could have success at DFS much easier than they could have, you know, like beating or yeah, betting EPL or NFL sides or something. Um, Interesting. See, I've never, I've never even thought to ask that question, but I would I not. The I, I in, wouldn't have guessed. In in peer to peer games, stupid opinion or stupid people's opinions still count, whereas in liquid markets, stupid people's opinions don't really count. So if like you're a if you're a bookmaker, like and I, I use stupid as a probably the, probably over. This is going to be the better. this is going to be the lead into the episode. <laughs> no, people, people who bet recreational, like if, if you are betting recreational into a, uh, you know, whatever NFL side, that money means nothing really. Right. It, it, like as someone who is trying to beat the market, whereas in peer to peer recreational people putting in money is, you know, directly money in your pocket if you're profitable. And so I, that's, that's what I think the main difference is, is in peer to peer recs, um, are good for you. Whereas in major markets, Rex don't really make a difference one way or the other. Right. Right. And which people, you know, might not be aware of. And I think that's, that's always important for people who think a lot about like public, pub, quote unquote, public money. It's just, it's so, so stupid, but uh, yeah, it's like the bookmakers really only care what a few people are saying and that helps them be really, 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 really right. Um, without even taking much action, they'll build. They'll just build a position on the the wrecks and take all their money. They're not. They're not giving you back an extra point or two because a bunch of recreationals are playing. You know, are making a stupid bet. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah, in peer to peer games, like the the only way you make money is with uh, recreational players. Like if everybody's good, it's extremely challenging to make money, especially at break levels that are high in most, at least in DFS and pickup. Like if you had all reasonable people, I guess, playing, I, I don't think they're they're profitable. It's just, you have so many people who are just doing it for fun. There's nothing wrong with that, but that, you know, it's entertainment and that, but their entertainment cost is going to the people who are trying to win. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I know we are, this may be the I thought Mr. Limbid might have been the record, but this might be the new record. We got hour 20 of honestly like awesome stuff. And I appreciate you coming on. I think yeah, people I mean I'm I literally because this is the first podcast in a while I've done that's just audio, you know, not video, because of you know, we're we're giving SP some 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 secrecy and an aura of mystery. Um, I've just been, you know, taking notes and really honed in on this conversation. I had a great time. I learned a lot. I mean, I can go back over my notes from this, from just recording this and I have five or six ideas or thoughts, you know, that I might want to, want to test out. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us like great, thoughtful content. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I'm a, an avid listener of, of your pod and all you do. So I, I appreciate uh, being on. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on, everybody. Uh, check out. I'll link sports projections 
uh, Twitter and I'll link his website where he d- he releases long form. You can sign up for his content to be delivered via email or, you know, you can bookmark the website and definitely go check out the articles he's written uh, and encourage him to keep throwing those out because they're truly some of the most valuable long form stuff in the space. So yeah, like everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks uh, for, you know, caring what, caring what we have to say because I have a lot of fun recording these and I will see you all on the next episode.